do you feel that? I feel it. It's the excitement. It's the anticipation. It's fall. We're rocking. It's video game season. And wherever you are, whenever you are, however you happen to be listening, we are so grateful that you chose to tune in to DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week. DLC delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsors this week, Linda and Harry's. They made that possible, bringing the show to you completely free. DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff, 2Ns1T, Kanata, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who just made it to Intermediate Warfighter, but who someday hopes to be advanced, Christian Spicer. Hello. Usually you say, Hello! Usually you ask a question. You're like, how are you? I was waiting. I was waiting with bated breath. Um, how are you? Are you excited about the uh, advancing your, your war fighting? Your uh, I've been playing since 9 p.m. last night. I am. Ooh, uh, boy. I, was, I was day negative one on the West Coast. So, yeah, wow. I'm excited. We'll get to that. And if people yeah, we're want be... to know or see, we mentioned it last week. If you want to see my Halloween costume, we were Guardians. And it's at, you can my Twitter profile pic, twitter.com slash Spicer. Were you guardians of the neighborhood? We were guardians of 10 minutes until Estelle no longer wanted to wear her rocket raccoon costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, DLC, of course, is your downloadable Christian. It's your downloadable Kanata. But this week, oh, we're excited because DLC stands for Diut Live from the Convention. Because we got our man <laughs> on the street in Melbourne here to report on the weekend's Last weekend's second annual PAX Australia, Mr. Raj Diut. Hey, Raj. How are we? I, I, I was excited to hear exactly what you were going to come up with for uh, DLC. I'm pretty sure that's why most people come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope that's our uh, our big draw. I, I, I fear not. But uh, wow. Raj, you, 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 have a, you were at PAX Australia. You were participating in PAX Australia. You were reporting on it. You were there to soak it all up. I was there last year and I'm very jealous that uh, you got to be there this year because I really wanted to return. It was so much fun last year, but everything I've heard is it's bigger, it's better, it's a mo- it's more amazing this year. Yeah, it was triple the fun. It was uh, for starters you were there, so everyone was a little more relaxed and and happy about it. <laughs> Um, yeah. No, that's not the case. It, it was it was a change of venue. It was a change in schedule date. Moved to out of the middle of winter, which was really nice, and um, a great new venue at the convention center, that right in the heart of the city, that just housed everything under one big giant roof with no tents and no walkways out uh, where the rain was pouring all over you. So yeah, it was a really really good effort. And uh, to be honest, I think uh, the likes of Pax Prime and those guys are going to be really jealous of the venue we've got now. That's cool. And it's also moved to a warmer time of the year. I remember last year we were uh, dealing with a lot of rain. Um, yeah, but, it, it, it is Melbourne, Australia, which means that it rains and snows and uh, it's hot. Uh, it goes from, you know, 40 degrees to 100 degrees, talking Fahrenheit in day. But that's, uh, that's just part of Melbourne. So it did rain on the middle day, but it was hot on the first day. And then it was just nice and warm on the Sunday. So Very cool. Well, we got... Yeah. A lot to talk about this week. We got you talking all about PAX Australia. We've got Sunset Overdrive to talk about. We've got Call of Duty Advanced Warfare to talk about. We've got uh, an awesome special guest for Tabletop Time telling us all about the Essen Spiel, which is this massive board game convention that just happened in Germany. 
Uh, tons to get to. We got the chat room buzzing. We got people on the telephone line. It's going to be a great show, but let's start it off the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, of course, the part of the show where we try to convince one another of the most important stories that are happening in the world of gaming Raj, as our guest, I'm going to give you first pick. What do you think is the most important story this week? Uh, besides PAX Australia being extended to 2019 and the government signing on to that one, which is really nice to hear, and the convention centre playing home for the next couple of years. A Marvel-esque uh, plan of out into uh, 2019. We've got uh, forecasting. All, cre- all credited to uh, Robert Koo, I believe, at Penny Arcade and and, and the guys that organised the Australian one. But no, really good effort there uh, that we're all very excited about. But the big thing for me, and this is sort of out of the blue because I'd never seen it before, was Star Citizen and the FPS mode that they debuted here at PAX Australia. That yeah, thing, and you were in the room for that, right? You saw the big I, presentation. Um, this kind of a surprise. Star Citizen is the biggest crowdfunded anything ever they've raised well over 50 million dollars and continue to push that number up uh and it was you know chris roberts spiritual successor to the wing commander series this is a spacefaring in a cockpit dogfighting trading privateer-esque kind of experience and all of a sudden surprise surprise you land on a planet get out of the cockpit and now we're in a multiplayer first person shooter shooting aliens that's right. Yeah, it. it uh, they hired out one of Melbourne's oldest music venues, a place called the Forum Theatre. Beautiful old building, right in the heart of the city. Not actually part of the convention officially, I guess. It was a separate event that was just held on the on the weekend. Uh, and then, um, yeah, ran into that one at nine thirty at night uh, or nine o'clock at night, and they were streaming it out to their supporters across the globe. Chris Roberts up on stage in his Wing Commander uh, uniform, sort of slash Halloween, slash just likes to wear it, I think, um, thing, and uh, announcing this this new FPS module or showing it off a little bit of uh, that a live multiplayer match with from the developers from uh, Illphonics, I think it was from memory, uh, who had developing the module on behalf of Robert Space Industries. And and seeing this guy talk about it, it reminded me of being back at E3 and seeing uh, Sean Murray from Hello Games up on stage talking about No Man's Sky. It, he, this, he's just a, a kid with $60 million nearly behind him right now in a giant candy store building exactly what he wanted to build 20 years ago with Wing Commander. So it's really impressive. So what was the what was the feeling like in the room? Is this uh, um, these are the you know he's preaching to the choir? These are the most excited uh, supporters, I'm guessing, of, of yeah. Star Citizen. Uh, yeah. uh, these are people who contributed money to make a dogfighting space sim, which is this still is. Was this pure excitement when they saw that the game was more than that, or are people worried about it getting away from its core game mechanic? I, I t- I don't think so. If there was any haters in the room, they they weren't heard. That's for sure. It was an electric. Haters gonna atmosphere. hate, 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 hate. What? <laughs> uh, I feel like Subway now. All of a sudden, um, it uh, it's it, it was incredible. It, everyone was seriously cheering. They knew about the FPS module coming online. It wasn't something out of the blue, um, and it was always a part of the larger picture, I guess. So. Uh, but they they announced a couple of ships and showed them off that are in the hangar 
portion of the uh, of the game, which is available now if you're a supporter, so you can wander around and and um, uh, walk in and out of these ships that are sitting around in your hangar. And then they went into the FPS module after showing off a few things like the uh, the, the the systems that are involved in the modelling of the of the person that you play. Things like uh, condensation coming up on the helmet as you sprint uh, because you're actually running out of breath. Um, the the eye modelling being independent of the head, so just like a normal human, when you look down your and, and you hit your chin on your chest, your eyes actually continue to roll. So all of that stuff being modelled in game, real time, looking amazing. Like this thing makes me want to go buy a PC. I haven't been a PC gamer for about 10, 15 years. So um, I, I will seriously c- consider going out and building my own PC for this now. I didn't realize that uh, the first-person shooter mode was already announced. I thought that was a, much more of a surprise. It, it certainly was the first time we'd ever seen it in action. Um, Christian, did you get a chance to see this footage? They released a, a video of the presentation. Yeah, it's uh, one... I don't think anyone that supported this game could necessarily be too upset. It goes back to what we talked about last week, right? Like, is this taking away from the main mode of the game and from or what people expected the game to be? And from what I've seen, it doesn't look like it has. But also, shots fired, right? <laughs> Here's the wing commander guy, whatever, whatever you want to say, past library of games, making what looks like it could be the best first-person shooter also. Like, <laughs> holy crap, What this is incredible, right? I mean, my jaw literally hit the ground. It's crazy. It literally hit the ground. I was sitting very close to the ground. I was laying on the ground, <laughs> oh, okay. uh, you know, like a, at a at a at a sleepover, like a very girly sleepover. <laughs> and I was on my computer, and I was tabbing over. I was reading some Babysitters Club, and then I saw that video, and my jaw literally. <laughs> well, I have one question for you. Why wasn't I invited to the sleepover? Oh, who's to say that you weren't, and you just didn't show up like the football game? <laughs> oh, oh! Shots fired, indeed. Uh, so, what 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 is it about it that made it look so much, you know, above and beyond other first person shooters? I I, I saw a pretty standard, although pretty, very pretty. Uh, but I saw a pretty, pretty standard functionality as far as FPSs go. Well, I think I think it's prettiness is part of it, though, right? Because I I liked Killzone. Um, I liked all the Killzones. The PS4, Killzone, Shadowfall, whatever. Um, I liked it, and but part of it was it was beautiful. And you like beautiful games. I think it's a big part of it. And here's this game that's looked beautiful, but I don't know. I, I, it, it was uh, incredible to me just because it seemed very realized and very competent for a game that also has so much more. You know what I mean? Oftentimes yeah. it's like, a game will shoehorn in a driving section of an otherwise good first-person shooter. But here's the best space shooting exploration game, potentially, you know, people are hyped for this, also now has Call of Duty in it. I, I, yeah. I think that's incredible. No, I agree with you. I think that the thing, you know, you, we've always said for years is, why can't you have the first-person shooter game that when you get into a car, now it's as good as Burnout, and then when you get out of the car, it's as good as Call of Duty, and then when you get in a boat it's as good as you know there aren't any great boat games i guess but you know the idea that why why does why do these specialized games why can't you bring them together into one experience and i think that the exciting thing for me seeing the video is showing a a game that is going to feel much more like a big giant world that i get to play in rather than just a just a flight simulator just a space simulator this is really a uh, a, a universe that I'm invested in and I'm going to build up all my stuff and I'm going to get my better spaceship and then I'm going to land and I'm going to go do other things. And I think that that's 
as somebody who's into science fiction, that's what I wanted out of Mass Effect, for example. And, you know, and it gave you flavors of that, but this feels much more robust when it comes to all those different systems. It's definitely built that way. And and the other thing for you, Jeff, especially, is it, it's not a permadeath, but there is much more of a, a, a ramification around dying. And, uh, you know, it's not a Call of Duty run-in, all guns blazing type of shoot at everything. Uh, if you, there are consequences for you dying or being shot down. And if you aren't recovered by teammates and things like that, that can lead to a, a larger ramification. So it's uh, it's... It's built around this world of, of like you said, of, of literally taking you away to another place, and um, uh, that the systems at the moment running separately, uh, the the flight sim and the FPS, uh, the the architecture is there for them to all seamlessly seamlessly integrate. So it should be a, should be a crazy experience. The uh, the chat room is giving me lots of great boat games: Hydro Thunder, Wave Race. So none of them came to mind. Uh, the only game that came to mind was Blood. Wake, Blood Wake, the uh, original Xbox game, and I wasn't going to drop Blood Wake into the conversation, <laughs> but uh, Hydro Thunder and Wave Race are both excellent. Uh, awesome. That huge news. Christian, do you agree? Is that your story of the week? Or you got something else on your mind? I mean, I think that is a very big story. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of last week was so news packed. This week, I think, is a little slower as big games are coming. And I guess the thing that I kind of think is interesting, and I'd like to get your guys' opinion on, and I bought into it and took part in it. But Call of Duty: Advanced Warfare is out today. It launched in the U.S. at midnight Eastern in Best Buy and GameStop, and digitally as well. They it was midnight Eastern across the u.s so here on the west coast we got it at 9 p.m and then it's out all day today monday as a quote day zero edition and then officially launches tomorrow um i mean we've seen this with movies certainly where it's like you know the movie comes out friday but it's like first showing come to this special wink wink sneak preview wednesday at 4 p.m 7 p.m 10 p.m midnight thursday at 10 a.m 11 and it's like you mean the movie comes out wednesday um but this is the first you know, huge AAA release to do something like this on this scale. And do you guys think it's a good thing, bad thing? Like, Jeff, do you think, does it matter at all? Or is it just marketing to get people excited for a game that otherwise maybe wouldn't have the hype behind it? Well, actually, I think it happened one week before, too, because I got a phone call from my friendly neighborhood GameStop uh, saying, hey, uh, we've got an authorization to sell Sunset Overdrive to you at 9 p.m. if you want to come by. Uh so take that for what it's worth, but I, you know, I don't think there's anything bad about this or wrong with it. I don't, I don't know what the downside would be other than, you know, all these companies have boxes of these, these discs just sitting there waiting for an arbitrary time to click by so they can start selling them to you. Uh, you know, I haven't gone to a midnight release of a video game since probably Halo 2. Um, it's been a while, but uh, because, you know, I just, I don't need to stay up till two o'clock in the morning with bleary eyes to try to experience the first couple of hours of a game. I, I, it's still going to be there when I wake up in the, the next morning. Um, but you know, people that are hardcore and want to do that nine o'clock is a much better time than midnight as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, I'm all for it. What do you think? Raj? Well, I guess, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, the only thing I really saw about it was uh, a lot of people buying it digitally, especially on Xbox that, um, 
were having a really hard time with the download being so slow. So mm. a lot of uh, a lot of guys down under. I don't I don't know about the rest of the world, but my Twitter feed sort of had people that were going, you know, sort of screaming, "Oh, it's another four hours! It's another six hours! Uh, it's getting close to midnight! It's still not done! Uh, I just want to play!" Blah blah blah. Um, so I don't know if that was the strain of the servers or, or our <laughs> our pathetic Pacific internet connection to the country, um, but it, it, and it is a fairly large game, I believe. It, there was something I read uh, maybe yesterday about the PC version coming on six DVDs if you buy it boxed. Really? Wow. Yeah, that's I, crazy. I, I don't know. Yeah, why not put it on a Blu-ray? I guess enough people don't have Blu-rays, but. Um, yeah, so uh, there were there were certainly events here. Uh, it was sort of for me anyway. I, I mean, I do play a lot of uh, the not ghosts. I played a lot of Black Ops uh, too, but um, I, I switched to Titanfall and haven't really gone back to be honest. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, maybe the larger issue is. What are release dates? Will more games do this? Uh, does it really matter anymore? I, like people are in the chat, and I and I think it is. You know, originally it was Tuesdays because other media had claimed other days. Other you know, uh, physical media had claimed other days, and it, movies came out one day, CDs came out another day, whatever. Video game to Tuesdays, and now more and more, um, does that even matter? Or will you have and some games do. Nintendo games often come out different days. Um, you know, is it just this is our day and it comes out and it could be a Wednesday, Thursday, or whatever? I kind of like the traditional, like, ooh, Tuesdays, this is when games come out kind of feeling, but I realize that that's maybe just nostalgia for me, and people today kind of don't care. It's like, I don't know, get the game on a Friday, then I can play it all weekend. Um, but I don't know, I, th- I think it's interesting. It is interesting, and I think it's just a, a, a way to get more buzz. You know, it's like, oh, you, you want to be the first to play. You want to be the first to play. And these giant franchises have that kind of anticipation wrapped wrapped around them so why not you know give people a a way to feed that anticipation with uh, being the first to play but um, i i think we probably will be seeing it more um yeah a lot of people in the chat are saying well we you know or not a lot but one person in the chat is saying we wish it was uh you know on friday or a saturday that way you know you could stay up all night and play without having to worry about work or school but uh you know the people who sell your your games have to work as well. <laughs> so, well, when I was playing some online, uh, I got it on Xbox One, and I think we might have talked about this before, but I don't think people necessarily realize that if unless you change it, your connect is always hooked up. <laughs> you know, it's it's your it's your mic still. I don't think this guy knew, but it sounded like this guy was playing in an apartment or a dorm or I don't know somewhere, and he's talking the whole thing not to anyone in game, and then someone yells, "Yo, how long are you going to be playing that?" And he replied with expletives that I will lead out, leave out. And he was like, you ain't getting this TV anytime soon. I took a week off work. I got 10 sick days. You best believe I took them all. It's Call of Duty, baby. And then the whole apartment, I just heard laughs, laughs screaming in from this guy's mic. So you were, it's, uh, it's an event. You were clearly playing online with Mark from Marketing. <laughs> his, his speech was well received. Um my uh my story of the week is uh, a pretty awesome thing in my opinion. Th- this Internet Arcade was released this week which is a in-browser free way to play over 900 classic arcade games. This is spectacular to me. I can't believe that this is a possible and b legal <laughs> and and c nobody has shut it down because uh it's it's wonderful that 
you can I did it this morning. I was playing a whole bunch of Joust and I was playing some Outrun and it works in your browser and you can hook up a gamepad and play on a gamepad. Is it as awesome as, you know, your own MAME cabinet in your house? No, but it's free and it's in your browser and you can do it anytime and it's 900 arcade games and that's amazing, I think. So tell me why that's wrong, guys, because that's I think that's a pretty epic, epic story this week. No, so, did they actually rebuild them? I was just clicking through then and, and I was talking to one of the developers saying how easy it was to build arcade games uh, online. So are they actual like ports or are they the the? Oh, I'm sure. Game, I think it's the like, ROMs. ROMs. I think it's using yeah. the ROMs, but then figuring out a way for your browser to interpret the ROMs. In, in, you know, it's emulating the ROMs on your browser, which is uh, you know what what we've been doing with ROMs for you know, 10 years now is emulating them on PCs, but the, the, you know, the ability to do that in a browser where you don't even have to download the ROM anymore. You just log on and click on a game and start it right up uh, and put in a virtual coin. And there you go. Uh, it, it speaks to how far we've gotten with, you know, processing power and, and how easy it is, you know, nothing has to be downloaded anymore. It's all just this, this web-based cloud-based system and you have an access to history here. This is this is my childhood. This is all the games that I could ever have wanted. Nine hundred plus games, just sitting there waiting to be played. That's pretty epic. Very it's, cool. It, it it's really cool. I love the tech. I love that we're getting this. It it just to me, I will never play this because those games. Like I don't get a lot of those old arcade collections either, where because I feel like those games are built to take quarters, and as frustrating as that is, playing it in a way that has no state, it's kind of like I'm trying to think like playing poker with friends with not real money. It can still be fun because you're hanging out with your friends, but it's totally different because you're like all in. Who cares? Even if you only have twenty dollars on the line, you're like, oh, I'm going to slow down this hand. And I think these arcade games kind of like when you just have unlimited continues or not real money. It's weird. I'm almost saying, like, I think what Microsoft tried to do with their game room was an interesting way to present arcade games for a modern time. It's like Turtles Arcade, if you play that now. It's still cool or whatever, but it's totally different, right? Um, and that's why I feel like a lot of these old arcade games kind of fail today. But I'd much rather have this browser thing exist than not exist, don't get me wrong, but it's not something that I'll ever use. Uh, Eth Demon in the chat says it's not new. He saw browser ROM emulation several years ago. Yeah, I know that uh, you know emulating ROMs in a browser is not new, but to have them all in one place like this, have it uh, so easily uh, accessible, and have it's just it's like this giant library where you can just go and play everything. That's that's pretty great. So I just wanted to highlight that uh, we got a several. Several stories submitted by users, which you can always do for our consideration for Story of the Week by using our hashtag on Twitter. That's uh, hash DLCSOTW for Story of the Week. Uh, or using our subreddit. People are digging on the subreddit over at reddit.com slash r slash 5 by 5 dlc A lot of good discussion happening there. Uh, there's a weekly discussion thread of, of each show that we do. And uh, a lot of good stories submitted, including this one about YouTube now supporting 60 frames per second in 720p and 1080p. This was submitted by Space Bob on the subreddit. And uh, if you check it out, if you've seen it yet, YouTube's 60 frames per second mode, boy, it's pretty. And it's a great way to show off these these games. I was watching a um, 
a Mario Kart video in 1080p at 60 frames per second. It, does it look like I'm watching a fully rendered version on my computer, on my uh, console, on my television? No. Is it very pretty and noticeably better quality than watching a regular YouTube video? Heck yes. So uh, this is a, I think this is a big improvement for watching video game videos specifically on YouTube. Yeah, it's great. I don't know. It's, no? it's I'd much, again, I'd much rather have it than not have it. But I feel like most of the time I'm watching YouTube. I'm on my phone or in between something else or on my computer, and it, I don't really. It hasn't. Some I know some people are very serious about their YouTube. Again, love it that exists. Will it change the world for for me personally in any way? No. All right. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm kind of the same. I mean, it, it, it is amazing. I, I watched that same Mario Kart, and it looks fantastic. It's beautiful. It's you know, it, it, it's it's what you'd expect from 60 frames per second. But then I was around at a friend's place last night, and we literally were watching cat compilations for 30 minutes with the lowest <laughs> lowest resolution videos you could possibly see that were filmed off of a Nokia phone. 10 years ago or something ridiculous um, and having just as good as time. So I think wow. if you're into the gaming streaming stuff and, and it's important to you, then that's exciting for you. But for the, for the 95% of people that are on YouTube, they don't really care if someone is in 60 frames per second getting kicked in the nuts. All right. Uh, f- from the, from the guy who wants all the peas and it gets all upset about all the peas that he's missing. I feel like this is it's different to be playing than it is to be watching a I'm not big. Personally, I don't watch a lot of video game content online. For people that do and want to use this to see how good a game looks or whatever, it's great. Like I said, it's awesome. I'd much rather have this exist than not exist. I'm just saying for me, it's not the biggest deal in the world. All right. Fair enough. And if it's the biggest deal in the world for you, you're an idiot and you should change your life and you should... No, I'm just <laughs> I just think it's great for gaming content. I, I feel like it's uh, it's a way for them to to be the preferred way of, of looking at video game content. You know, people are, uh, you know, going to Twitch for that, uh, which is a different thing well, entirely. And, uh, and, you know, I understand that, but still. It's and a all- step closer to them being Twitch, though, isn't it? it, it all they've got to do is turn on that streaming ability and, and well, here comes some competition. So, yeah, that's probably, you know, more likely where it's headed to. And I'll say this, anything that continues to... I love the internet. I love what it does. And uh, the United States, and I think Australia's is kind of not the best also. Um, <laughs> but anything that forces... You know, I, I like it when companies keep innovating and, and, you know, let's pack that bandwidth and let's make people realize that we need to have better solutions for high-speed internet that, you know, a utility, whatever you want to call it, but like, yes, use it. Don't hold back because the infrastructure can't handle it yet. Let's push the thing as far as it can and then let everything else catch up. So that in that aspect, I think it's great. Well, speaking of watching videos online, I have to thank our sponsor, who is a fantastic service for watching videos online, and it's a better way to learn something than YouTube. A lot of people turn to YouTube to learn something, but you find yourself trying to find the one video that talks about the thing and it isn't a moron who doesn't know what he's talking about and maybe it's the last version of a piece of software and you're trying to find out, well, does this still work? Well, that doesn't look like the screen that I'm looking at. How come this video is showing a screen that I'm not looking at and I, I just want to figure out how to do this one thing and why can't I find the stupid YouTube video? <laughs> Enter Linda. Lynda.com is the easy, affordable way to help people learn. You can instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on business, 
software, web development, graphic design, and more. And lynda.com works with industry experts, so you're guaranteed to get the most up-to-date information from people that know what they're talking about. They talk to the software companies making the software, so you're definitely talking about the latest version, the latest updates. Often, they'll get that, that new video up the same day the release hits the market. You're always up to date. And their courses are always high quality, not like those stupid homemade videos on YouTube. And every course is broken into bite-sized pieces so you can learn at your own pace and learn from start to finish or just find a quick answer to a quick question that you quickly want resolved. Lynda.com has great tools like searchable transcripts, playlists, and certificates of course completion that you can publish on your LinkedIn profile, which is great if you're a professional in the field. And whether you're a beginner or advanced, lynda.com has courses for all experience levels and they make it easy to learn anywhere with apps for iPhone, iPad, and Android. And for one low monthly price of $25, you get unlimited access to over 100,000 video tutorials. Premium members with an annual plan can download courses to their iPhone, iPads, or Androids and watch them offline. And you can also download project files and practice along with the instructor. Lynda.com is a great way to learn a new skill, practice something you already know, or Figure out an answer to a problem in a piece of software or just a a business application. It's really great. I've used it myself, lynda.com. Guess what? We're going to give you seven days free just for being a DLC listener. If you go to lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D-A, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash DLC, and then use the promo code DLC. That's all you have to do. You get seven days free. Go to lynda.com slash DLC and try it. Give it a shot. It'll show them that you listen to our show and it'll encourage them to keep supporting us, which we appreciate. Okay, guys, uh, another story submitted on the subreddit. This one from Datsim1015. This is a sad one for me because I was at the... Uh, E3, what, 2011, I guess it was, maybe earlier, when Bethesda showed Prey 2, and I was wowed by what they showed. I This is the kind of game I wanted. It was this cool, free-running, bounty-getting, uh, Blade Runner-esque universe that didn't look anything like P- Prey 1, to be honest, but it looked like something I really wanted to get my hands on. Uh, unfortunately, this week... Official confirmation that Prey 2 is canceled. End of story, end of line, can sold. Now, they did say, uh, or at least Pete Hines, the uh, president of, uh, vice president of Bethesda, said that uh, they are interested in perhaps using the Prey license at some point, but what we saw of Prey 2 is completely in the can, and Human Head Studios, which is who was working on it, is no longer working on it. So this bums me out. Did you guys ever uh, get a chance to see that, that Prey 2 footage? I've seen the cinematic roll about a hundred times since this was announced uh, on Monday or Sunday for, for you guys. But uh, Pete Hines did the the keynote or the opening story time for for Penny Arcade in Australia this year, so wasn't really any mention of Prey Two not coming to fruition during that that I that I understand. But yeah, um, yeah, when he spoke to CNET uh, and and they asked about Prey Two, um, it. it 
like you said, it was it was a little bit off the track from the original storyline, but it did look amazing. Like it looked like something that I wanted to get my hands on. But um, I guess three years is about the time that we need to wait for the the last Guardian. That's about three years now until they officially <laughs> announced it's gone. Right. Oh gosh. I hope I hope that's not the case. But yeah, I mean it's it's. It's. A, I think it's a lesson in showing things too early. It's a lesson in uh, not knowing what your game is going to be when you unveil it to the press and to the public. Uh, that's kind of a problem. If if your game isn't fun, if your game isn't isn't is something that is going to end up coming to fruition at all, maybe it's not time to show it yet. But uh, but you know, well, these- it's just life is like Dark Souls. And these people <laughs> spent three years making a game, and they went down the wrong hallway. And they weren't geared up to take on the demon that they encountered. And, you know, they lost all their souls in the game. <laughs> they need to go to a campfire to get, get everything. I mean, uh, Wombat, or Stuart Noct, however you know him, he says often, um, nothing exists until it comes out. <laughs> and I think it's an unfortunate reminder, but that happens more and more in games and other media because things do get announced so early, right, to get the hype train started. And you've got to show it at E3 because that's kind of the big time and you get you know, companies, uh, stores that are going to be buying it and carrying it, and you got to plant your flag now, like Uncharted 4 is coming out this date. And, you know, it happens in movies too, certainly with what Marvel did, like releasing movies until I'm 48, apparently. <laughs> like, I'm so excited to see this movie when I retire. Um, but until you buy that game, it doesn't it doesn't exist. It's not out. Unreleased games are Schrodinger's cat, according to Christian Spicer. Um, That's an elegant way of putting my long rambling statement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we got lots to talk about of games that actually do exist because they have come out. So let's go right now to the playlist. Boy, there's a lot of big games to talk about. We got to talk about all the stuff that you had your hands on at PAX as well, uh, Raj. But uh, I want to start with the big game that came out last week, Sunset Overdrive, because all three of us have played that. Uh, Raj, what is your take on Sunset Overdrive? How much have you played of it? Uh, I've played a few hours. I, I guess we didn't get it the same day as you in America. It didn't come out until Thursday, which is our normal release day in Australia. So uh, got picked it up Thursday night, had packs all weekend. So I've sort of plugged it in where I possibly can, but I, I'm really enjoying it. I played it at E3. Uh, so I had, had some time there with it as well. And, and it's just a fun game. Like the, I'm, I'm enjoying the, I guess, tongue-in-cheek, uh, breaking the third wall sort of uh, interaction with the characters uh, and uh, and the, the game mechanic itself is, seems really tight. It's really easy to get around the world, grinding on buildings and rails and swinging around, putting together combos, bouncing off of pretty much anything that's on the ground is, is, is a launch pad. Um, and then the weapons that the, the they put together, the, the teddy bear TNT launcher and... Uh, the record sort of dispenser that you start with to begin uh, begin the game. I, I, I'm really having a good time, and I think they've done a, a great job bringing uh, this first-party title out on Xbox. Uh, I just wanted to – I think you said breaking the third wall. I think it's breaking the fourth wall, but I, I love fourth the idea wall, of breaking the, breaking the third oh. wall would be like turning to your left and talking directly to the <laughs> – anyway. <laughs> no, I didn't mean to correct you there, but um, – 
Christian, what's what's your take on on uh, Sunset Overdrive so far? I understand why it got such high reviews. I have not finished the game. I'm maybe five, six hours in. I, I understand why it got the stellar reviews that it did. I personally, based on the time I have played the game, would not uh, review it that highly. I'd maybe say it's an eight, very high seven for me personally so far. Like, it's big, it's beautiful. Uh, the world is full of these, you know, zombies. Um, the characters are cool, and it, it's the movement, I think, works when it works, but maybe I'm not as good as, as, as Raj's. I, I feel like I'm frustrated at times that I can't climb a building the way you can in Infamous or Assassin's Creed and like you're kind of required to bounce and you get the air dash later that helps that certainly helped me move around but I find it's almost like because the world is so full like an in Infamous the levels aren't as full right uh, of obstacles and things to run on it's kind of like oh this is the line I'm going to take to kill these guys and same with Bioshock Infinite it's like I'm going to get on these two rails I'm going to go around and kill these guys I find that the world it's great that it's cool and full or whatever but I think the camera isn't awesome for trying to keep track. I've not been able to do what I wanted to do. And I think this game maybe rewards not precision, which is taking me time to adjust to. Because kind of like, just shoot stuff, blow stuff, run around, jump. Who cares where you are? Just shoot, shoot, shoot. But I'm like, no, no, no. I have a line. I want to do this. I want And I feel like it, it misses in that regard. And the humor, <laughs> I know that I make potty jokes too. The hum- humor for me is largely missing. I don't like the fact that it's like, oh man, fetch quests are so dumb. They're the dumbest thing ever. Now you got to do one. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. No. Not just one. Every quest yeah. is a fetch quest. Every- <laughs> yeah. And this game for me is the type of open world game that I don't necessarily enjoy. It's very similar to Dead Rising uh, three where it's like you meet a new character then you gotta go get five things for that character and then this character did that and all the while the game is telling you how stupid this is yeah but, but you're still making me do it that's a miss you hit minor very minor spoiler i won't say how you encounter it but you hit an invisible wall that's labeled invisible wall and they're like <laughs> and i'm like don't do it it's either dumb then don't do it or it's not dumb and make this world like uh, another open worldy game is shadow of mordor and there's invisible walls in that, but they build a big mountain there. The quests aren't all the same. Yes, you're going to quest givers, but things feel fluid and dynamic. And I feel like this game has so much good to offer. I think it's worth playing, but it's not. And it's I'm having fun. I'm going to keep playing it, but it's not dragging me back to it the way other games have. And I find the self-referential like, this is so stupid. I'm like, it is. It's stupid. Quit making me do it. Jeff, are, am I the odd man out here? Or are you... Uh, mark this down in the history of this show because I agree with you 100%. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to like this game so much more than I do, and uh, I, I really want to like this game. It, it's just making it so difficult to like it. Um, a lot of people in the chat are talking about how, oh, it's, you know, it's uh, Jet Grind Radio with guns. It really isn't. It's, it's the game you referenced, Dead Rising, if somebody had told me this was Dead Rising 4, I would believe them. It feels like Dead Rising. It feels like Dead Rising meets Tony Hawk. And I wish it controlled more like Tony Hawk. I wish the feeling of traversal was more like those games that are about traversal, 
Uh, or it was more like, as you said, infamous or crackdown. Uh, this game actually just makes me really want a new crackdown because, as you said, the world is so vibrant and so colorful and so interesting and the graphics are really beautiful and they pop. Um, and, and all that stuff is, is a wonderful place to be in. But I don't find myself enjoying getting around as I should. I should love getting around in this game. I love getting around in Infamous. I love getting around in Crackdown. And in Tony Hawk, it's not about getting around. It's about being awesome on the things that happen to be around. It's not getting from place to place. It's using the place to my advantage. And this game wants you to play it that way. It wants you to use the environment to your advantage. But you can't because you're constantly being bombarded by bad guys and and wanting to deal with bad guys in a way that is effective and has take makes use of all these cool guns and things that the game gives you as well so i find myself and maybe this is something that'll go away when i get 10 or 12 or 15 hours in instead of being six or eight hours in uh it i find that i just do the thing that i did in bioshock infinite which is i get myself on a rail that goes in a circle or a square and i just grind that circular motion and kill as many enemies as i can because that's where I fight the camera the least. That's where I am least yeah. at a disadvantage. Um, and it, you know, it, the humor, as you said, is very Dead Rising. It's very... I think this game... Part of why I, I, I'm afraid that you and I may not enjoy the humor is I feel like this game is trying so hard to be a millennial. It's trying so hard to be ironic and sarcastic and above it all. And that it, it, it is... It is. It's like uh, it's like your dad putting on an ironic T-shirt. You know, it's it, it. You see right through it. You know, it's like it's not authentically millennial, but it wants to be millennial. Or maybe millennials do dig it. I don't know. I'm not one, so I well, I don't know. But Dark Matter Dragon has in the chat. He said, you know, it'd be cool if you had it labeled an invisible wall and then let you blow through it. And I think that's how you would do something like that, right? If it's like, bramp, invisible wall, and then your character's like, but wait, I have an invisibility cloak, or, you know, whatever. Or, man, fetch quests sure are stupid. Now go get this thing for me. And you roll your eyes when your character rolls, rolls their eyes. And then you go on this quest, and all of a sudden it becomes something totally different. Like, that's how you have fun with the genres. Don't you know, say how bad they are, then have you do exactly them. And the game does have some good variety in side missions. Like, if you didn't like Infamous Second Son because you thought there weren't enough things to do, like, this game is chock full of things to do, and, you know, they're different. They're not all defends. They're not all whatever. Some are traversal or whatever. Um, and I, it's bright and it's beautiful and it's so different looking than so many games that are out there. And I, like you, Jeff, I really want to love it, but it keeps you know, slapping my hand every time I go reach out to pet it and just does something, it, it, it grates, it, just not the right <laughs> no way. Unintended. Yeah, it, it's, um, uh, it I, grinds on you is what you're saying? Go ahead, Raj. <laughs> no, I, 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 I agree. Like the humor is a little bit, uh, it's not, not right. I mean, uh, Dark Matter Dragon again, a, little, a millennial game program by dads and that's 100% accurate. Like the humor isn't highbrow by any, stretch of the imagination i just it's it's it seems fun to me and i think christian hit the nail on the head earlier on when he was saying that um it's not precise 
you, you have to give up the thought of playing it precisely because as soon as you try and sort of like the, the iron side or zoom or anything like that, you, you're, uh, you're almost breaking the mechanic they've built into the game because they want you to bounce around. They want you to traverse and, and traversing sucks when you hit some water or something like that. It's, it's really not good. But it, it, there's so many things around that you're just meant to sort of just jump and happen to land on something and then bounce off that and then combo into something else and build up this meter and then you can make something else explode or shoot a barrel and that, that explodes. I, I think uh, I'm very much caught up in the graphical next step of this game, the cartoon level that this has taken it to. And and um, and that for me has been a really nice uh, nice thing to experience and 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 once I've given up that thought of I need to control everything and I can just run around, I don't really care about my health meter. If I die, it doesn't really have any real ramification. So um, it's just about ex- bouncing and exploring and enjoying the world and and taking in that visual aspect for me. And th- and that's the part that I'm really enjoying. Yeah, and I think I think you said it really well. I think that is the way to if you're able to do that. Um, to quote Estelle's favorite movie. If you're able to let it go, um, <laughs> and, and just and go with that, I do think that that's how the game opens up and becomes fun. Like I'm not saying it's necessarily the game's fault as much as it is my unwillingness to enjoy that that style. I do think that if that's what they were going for, I almost wish they didn't put in uh, aimed. You know, technically it slows down time a little bit, but a left trigger you know, zoom in a little bit to Ironside or whatever. And I also wish they didn't nerf running. Like, it looks like your guy is running, but when you're not grinding or bouncing, you go so slow. Well, they're, I, Like, when you're running on the ground. I, they're trying to get you to bounce yeah. and grind and whatever. They're trying to disincentivize it, being on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, but I think they should just open everything up and you're just, you're bouncing, running, jumping, bouncing, running, ju- you're doing everything awesome and fast and whatever. And instead, it's like, if I miss what I'm trying to do, it's like, I feel like I'm in molasses. Um, but again, this is on me. These are my personal opinions. If all of this sounds awesome to you, you will love this game. Well, again, I think, I think that one of the things that these type of games need to fix and need to figure out for me, this game really brought into stark contrast is how did, how to communicate the objective in an open world that I need to get to, that I need to traverse to better than we've gotten so far. Uh, having a tiny little yellow X in the environment somewhere as I'm doing all these cool, awesome things isn't cutting it. I hate the fact that I'm grinding and doing cool things and bouncing and just constantly swiveling the camera around trying to find that little X marker with the little distance and seeing if that distance is going up or down. I don't want to play that way. I, there's got to be a better way to do it. Maybe have a beam shooting up into the sky that I can see from a far away so I don't have to just be looking for this stupid little icon that's placed in the world. And God help you if you do a side mission that has multiple icons because if you do an, uh, do one of those and then it's one of those where you arrive in the general vicinity and then you have to find something. So the icon goes away when you're close to it, but the five other ones that you aren't close to are still <laughs> up in the environment. And it's just this cacophony of, of distances that you can't even parse because you don't know how close you are to the thing you're looking for. It's just completely borked. And I, I think we got to figure that out because that's, 
it's ba- how, flat out bad in this game, as far as I'm concerned. How great would it be? And again, I'm no developer, but how great would it be if somehow it was procedural? Like once you you're bouncing around, having all this fun, and then once you get into a part of the world that's open enough or whatever, it drops the thing that you're supposed to defend, or you know what I mean. It creates the thing that you're supposed to do, so you can just be moving, exploring, whatever, and then these events happen. That's emergent gameplay. That like, oh, now I'm in this thing. I would love. If a game like this that has this movement and traversal could somehow implement a system like that. And I should say, I am pointing out all the negatives. The weapon design, awesome. The fun with the variety of weapons, super cool. Um, I have LOL'd a few times. The humor isn't an all isn't completely missed. Character creation, sweet. I love it. I love creating my own guy. Graphics, beautiful. I know it's 30 frames per second, whatever, not full 1080p. Um, but it looks great. It's fun. It's cool. Um, You're super right about the character customization. That is done really, really well. And it is fun when you unlock new costume pieces to to try on. It's got a really wonderful sense of style. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, I find the weapons to be pretty fun, but honestly, not any better than a Dead Rising game. But I think that we've kind of gotten to the point of these kinds of things. Insomniac has done it so many times that... At this point, like they're not going to give me a, a gun that's any more interesting than a, th- a thousand other games that I've played. Um, you're not surprised, like the first time you played Ratchet, and right. you were like, "Wait, this is a gun." But that said, it's Insomniac doing Insomniac really well. Yeah. It's not Fuse. No, I agree with you, I, and 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 I think it needs to be underscored that the reason we're so critical is because you see potential here, and there, and the game uh, it has really great points about it and it does seem like a really interesting concept and i and i i really also want to say that it's not the hue it's not quote-unquote humor that i'm upset about with this game or it's or or poorly executed humor even it's the attitude it's the attitude of the game and the humor is all derived from that attitude i love humor in games and even bad humor sometimes is fine with me it's the attitude of that like that ironic i don't care but i'm awesome i haven't accomplished anything but i'm awesome i you know everything is is dumb as you kept saying christian everything is dumb and everything is is i'm over it all and oh but it, but i'm awesome it's it's this weird ironic very like faux millennial take on everything that i find so so grating anyway but not you to take away now, raj Jeff, i'm sorry all. go ahead what? <laughs> you're just you're just old now that's all that's all it is really maybe it's just, you're just proving how, maybe. how your age is i guess <laughs> that's that is a fair <laughs> point man i could be completely off base and there could be a bunch of kids who are like this is exactly how i feel youtube Wee! you know it could be awesome but <laughs> maybe i'm just not digging that kind of feeling anymore uh, Maybe if we had someone under 30 that could give an opinion, that would be good as well. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Raj. I don't know who you think you're talking to, but Jeff and I both live in Hollywood, and we're both 21. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to say, Raj? Uh, you know, we kind of ganged up on you, I think. But I I, I, I do think there's a lot of people enjoying this game. I just... Uh, I'm not one of them. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Just bully the poor Australian. That's okay. Um, no, it, like I said, I'm enjoying it, but uh, I've been very jet lagged and very uh, sleep deprived. So giving up control has been pretty easy for me in terms of <laughs> mechanics. Um, so I don't know if that's contributed to it or not, but I'm enjoying it so far. And I'm probably about five hours in as well. So I'll, I'll you know, check in again when I'm at 10 or 15 and see if I'm sick of it. 
tell me about some of the games you played at PAX. What, are the, what were some of the standouts that uh, that PAX Australia was was displaying for you? Sure. Uh, uh, PAX for me was more about the indie side. Uh, I wish Jeff Mattis was here to, <laughs> sorry guys, I wish he was here to sort of riff off, but um, I, like a lot of the big name games we had, uh, you know, the new uh, Halo Master Chief Collection and Assassin's Creed Unity, Far Cry 4, um, a lot of that stuff is, is coming out relatively soon anyway. So I spent a lot of the time in the uh, the Australian New Zealand indie pavilion. Um, and there was some really exciting stuff in there. Um, uh, a couple of, I suppose, highlights for me. Um, it was a, a great little word puzzler game uh, by a couple of brothers called Bonza, which is uh, iOS, Android sort of, um, and Kindle Fire, I believe. A uh, game that's been out for a while now, uh, and it's essentially a... Uh, they take a crossword, a, a completed crossword that has an overarching theme to it, like uh, the seven seven deadly sins or something like that, and uh, essentially break it up. And your job as the the player is to put the crossword back together, uh, matching the the filled in components to, to to complete the puzzle. And each of the packs or levels has you know ten or fifteen of them. Um, they're constantly adding new level packs and themes to it. And then they have celebrity packs as well. So the guy that runs the the New York Times crossword, for example, comes in, creates 10 or 15 levels uh, and, uh, and, and puts them in there as sort of add-ons that you can purchase as you go through and um, complete them. But the, when I was talking to them, the, the whole goal of them creating the game was, was basically to, find, to create a game that the girlfriends would want to play. Uh, because they were they were sick of them saying you're always on the iPad or you're always playing a game and you know why aren't you hanging out with us? It's like well now you can hang out too. So um, that was it was really good fun. It was really quick and easy to pick up. Uh, it's like I said, it's, I think it's been out for about six months, so it's not exactly brand new. But um, the 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 demo and the um, uh, the interface for it's really simple, really easy to use, and a great sort of like time killer. Um, if you're looking for a, a mobile game, a mobile game on your smartphone or um, what's the name uh, again? iPad Bonza B O N Z A Z. I love that. That's how you know you're Australian. Is the the, the Z? <laughs> awesome. Z Z. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Uh, Chris, go ahead. Did you have another one, Raj? Yeah. Uh, the the other one I'll, I'll talk about briefly. I mean, there were there were so many. They had sixty games there. So. A really big showcase. There, there's an issue of uh, Grab It magazine, Grab It issue eight on the uh, iTunes App Store, uh, which is free, and it does a really great rundown of every indie game that was available. So if you if you are interested in indie games and you want to see what was there, that that would be my recommendation to get. But the um, the other one I'll talk about briefly is one called Sorty, which is a, a physics based uh, game built on the Unity engine by a, a New Zealand team called Frog Shark. Uh, it's a bunch of guys, I think it was about five of them, and it's sort of like a, a, a cartoony 3D, uh, very simple uh, graphic sort of to it, but you, you're in an arena and you, you run to pick up some weapons or a shield, um, and it's all top-down, uh, and you essentially use one thumbstick to spin or move your character's arms whilst the, the, the left thumbstick is to, to uh, run around the arena. And it's just about a matter of picking up these weapons and using this, this physics engine that they've uh, created to uh, defeat your opponents. It's just really good, fun, arena-based brawler. There's no, there's no real huge mechanic to it. And the guys uh, have admitted themselves that it's a long way off, but 
um, if you can get your hands on uh, a demo of that, it's definitely worth a go. Very cool. Well, we still have uh, Call of Duty to talk about. We got your phone calls. We're going to talk about lots of other stuff. But I have to thank our second sponsor, Harry's. Harry's, we love it when Harry's sponsors. And this is the perfect time for them to sponsor because it's Movember. What's Movember? Movember is when you grow your face out. Get that facial hair a-growing. Are you growing an epic handlebar mustache? Some sort of cool stash to, to, to frame your face? Well, guess what? Harry's is the official razor partner of Movember, and they're going to be there for you the entire Harry month. <laughs> Whether or not you grow your hair uh, this Movember, Harry's can get you an amazing shave and do good by supporting Movember's quest to fund research on important men's health issues. Now, what is Harry's? Harry's is your best way to get an easy, cool, effective, stylish shave without having to leave your house. It was started by two guys who wanted to figure out a way to not have to go into the store and have them unlock the cabinet and grab you razors and it's all pain in the butt. But harrys.com delivers a shave right to your door. So they bought this blade factory in Germany and they crafted some of the world's highest quality blades and they cut out the middleman and that's why they can offer blades and shaving gear to you much cheaper. Their starter shave starts at just 15 bucks and that includes a razor, three blades and your choice of hairy shave cream or their new foaming shave gel. I have been checking out their product. I uh, just this is a true story, a little bit maybe revealing to the audience, but my uh, my new wife uh, told me that I need to get on the uh, the facial product tip. I need to moisturize. She wants me to moisturize. I don't moisturize, but guess what? I mansturize. Just made that up right now. Didn't even plan that out. Uh, I I do it a cool way because I realized that Harry had Harry's had been sending me all these cool, manly, cool smelling facial products along with their shaving kits. So. They just released their shave moisturizer. They sent me one. Now I'm on that. I use it. It's very cool. And shipping is totally free. And if you use our promo code, we'll give you five bucks off. So go to harrys.com. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. And put in the promo code DLC. That'll give you five bucks off your order. You can get your Movember on or you can just shave it up as you normally do. I highly recommend this service. I use it myself. So check them out. Harry's. Dot com. Don't forget the promo code DLC. Um, <laughs> you did the speed read for your own pitch. I love it. <laughs> uh, See, I, I laughed twice at that pitch, so maybe that's why I enjoyed Sunset Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was so. Uh, it was very millennial of me. Um, Christian, you are call of dutying it up. Tell me your your yeah. first impressions, biggest game release of the holiday season, no doubt. What do you think? Well, these are my these are my day zero impressions, so they can change. Uh, these are my double XP day multiplayer impressions. I'm horrible at Call of Duty multiplayer. Um, I'm a competent first person shooter player, but as opposed to my friend who I was playing, my air quote friend, my teammate that I was playing with earlier, I am not taking the week off <laughs> to play the game, which is why it's things like that, people's dedication like that is why I will never be a top tier Call of Duty player. I just won't be. That said, I also had not played a Call of Duty game 
since maybe Black Ops 2, I played for a little bit. Um, this is the first Call of Duty I have bought in a while. Um, so I'm not, I, I don't know the nuances of the differences, and I'm not your authority on Call of Duty. As a dude who loves games and whose taste in games listeners know and appreciate, I am really enjoying Advanced Warfare. Um, the campaign is straightforward. It's not doing anything new. Um, but it's not convoluted and confusing, and it's not trying to be this unless there's some weird twist and super left turn later. Um, but it, it's fun, and it, the actions, the set pieces are there and grand, and the explosions happen when you think they should happen. Um, for someone that didn't love Titanfall, I find that the movement in your little mech suit or whatever it's called, um, exosuit is, is cool. And it, and it, it feels like call of duty, but the movement is, is fresh and fun in a way that I think is a little more. And I know, um, obviously Titanfall is made by X infinity ward people and that have that call of duty, you know, in their blood. Um, but I find that this game, I enjoy the movement in this game better, the on foot movement, um, in the single player and in the multiplayer, there's also a classic mode. You can play without any exo upgrades if that's your thing. Um, yeah, so far the story has been what you'd expect, a big summer blockbuster type stupid thing, but it's it's fun. It's it's I haven't had any of these annoying that some of them had had before. I think World at War was the worst for me where it's like I'm playing on normal, so I'm not playing super hard. Um but that's how I played all the game, but there haven't been any of these kill loops yet where I feel like I'm like, "Oh, now I'm in I've memorized the thing, so I got to take out this guy from this door, this guy from this door, this guy from this, get up, then just push through." I think the game still does have, you know, those spawn points and stuff like that, but it hasn't been frustrating in the way that some of the past Call of Duties were for me. The multiplayer has been, um, the matches I've played really fun, haven't had any connectivity issues. It's silky smooth. It feels right. I enjoy the exosuits in it. It has, um, 13 spots for kind of how you outfit your guy versus 10. That was in Black Ops 2, I believe. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's f- really fun. Like, I'm not saying it reinvents the wheel, but I think Sledgehammer Games did a really, really good job on making a really fun Call of Duty. I know it's cross-gen, um, and I know it, it kind of fluctuates its P's on Xbox One, but it looks great when it's supposed to look great, if that makes sense. Like, there's a, a scene that's, well, it has some, re- don't get me wrong. It has some really eye-rolly press X to do something moments. Some really horrible press X to do whatever moments in the single player. If you've seen my tweets, I've been tweeting about it. I won't mention it here because it's a very minor story spoiler. Um, But when you're playing and you're in the levels and you're shooting stuff, it looks great. When it's a, a cinematic story moment and you see dudes in suits sitting in chairs... They look so stupid. <laughs> like it does not look great then, um, and like the cars look stupid. But when it matters, it looks great. The smoke, the particle effects, sixty frames per second, stuff's going on everywhere. Um, it looks great, and I think it's a, a a step up from the people that were disappointed in Ghosts. And if you're a fan and you're looking just to shoot stuff, I think it's a really really easy to recommend this game. Have you? touched it at all are you interested are either of you interested in it at all Do, have i made you interested in it at all nope <laughs> <laughs> um slightly i i was uh i was not over the moon for what i'd seen in terms of presentations at, at shows or online pre- prior to prior to its release and, and i was a big call of duty guy like i 
I put a lot of hours into um, Ghosts and um, uh, not Ghosts, sorry, Black Ops. I skipped Ghosts uh, because I, like I said before, Titanfall really, really scratched that itch for me. So uh, I'm half tempted, but I don't. I have a problem of getting stuck in like the multiplayer and just living hours, and uh, I, I don't really want that to happen at the moment because I've got a bit of a backlog of other titles that I want to get through. So I will probably pick it up, but it won't be won't be in the next week or two. I'll probably just wait until it probably you know everyone's got the they've uh, maxed out a couple of times, and uh, and I. I can be the, the absolutely worst player in multiplayer. Um, but, yeah, I, I will pick it up. I'm not excited for it, though. I, I don't know. I, maybe I've just hit that that wall with Call of Duty now. That's just, it just seems like more of the same. The wall of duty. I, mean, I think there will definitely be um, a Black Friday deals on this if you're in the U.S. And I'm trying to, I'm, I'm horrible with names, and I apologize to our listeners. But, and this might have been another Call of Duties. I said I'm not. I'm not the guy that goes to nuances, but there's a multiplayer mode in this game that interests me because when you go into it, it's populated some by bots, some by real people, but it doesn't tell you which is which. Um, it doesn't show you a kill cam afterwards. It's more of it's 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 their attempt at a super casual online experience where you're not leveling up you're not whatever but you get in you feel cool you get to get some kills because the bots probably aren't that good but you don't know which ones are bots and which one are real and then afterwards it just tells you your kills not your death so you're like dude i killed 16 people and little do you know you died 42 um so i think for me this will be the mode that a month from now if i'm like hey i want to play a fast-paced cool multiplayer thing i can jump into that and have fun and play and not worry about, oh, everybody knows the, the map better than me. Um, I'm going to try to see if I can find the name. Someone in well, the I'm chat sure that uh, we'll be talking more about this uh, in the coming weeks, too, as you play more of it. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely yes, check back in next week. I want to get to some calls. We've got a lot of people on the line. Uh, and we have specifically somebody from the 432 area code. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? And what's on your playlist? Hey guys, uh, my name is P.E. from Texas, and my buddies and I have actually been playing Destiny, and I know that y'all talked it to death a couple of weeks back, but I want to bring up a couple of quick points that has really made it a unique play experience for me and my friends. Most of us have full-time jobs, and a lot of us actually go to school at night, too, so our playtime is really precious, and Destiny, for all of its grindiness at the later levels, the the grind to the level cap is actually a pretty smooth curve and we can do, you know, like an hour of playtime, have a really good time playing together and actually feel like we accomplished something. So we've, we've really enjoyed actually uh, kind of playing that over the last couple months or so and, and really had a good time with it. So, yeah, I think that that is a very valid, valid take on that game. And that, this is why I love games like that. I love MMOs. I love, uh, multiplayer centric experiences. It's why I'm playing Diablo three again now. It's why I love Heroes of the Storm. <clears throat> it's because my group of friends and I can hop on. We can have this wonderfully cooperative, fun experience where we're all working as a team and the individual play sessions can be not necessarily bite sized, although with Heroes of the Storm it is bite sized. It can be twenty minutes or less. Uh, but for you know these longer couple of hours in an evening, it's not bite sized, but it's 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 wonderfully 
concise. It's wonderfully self-contained. It's its 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 own experience that has a beginning, middle, and end. And you can do uh, you can do a greater rift, or you can you know run in and do one of these uh, destiny raids and have that beginning, middle, and end experience with your friends. Uh, so I totally get it, and I wouldn't I wouldn't begrudge anybody that fun. For me, there are just games that do that experience better for what I enjoy. And that's why I haven't, I, I, you know, I still have destiny. I'm still waiting for more content to come. And I, I anticipate returning to it. I just, uh, I'm just finding that kind of really valuable experience that you describe in other games right now. I, I really enjoy destiny. Uh, and for that exact same reason as a caller. So I had a bunch of friends that, we're all very time poor, and it was just a great game that we could jump in, enjoy, uh, really have a great experience on our PS4s, and uh, and and we're still sort of playing it on and off now. So yeah, I'm really happy with it. Cool. Uh, let's go to another call. We got somebody from uh, 607 on the line. Uh, what is your name? Where are you calling from? And uh, what's on your playlist? Hey guys, this is uh, Jeff from uh, Rochester, New York, um, and I was playing the Evolve Big Alpha uh, for a good portion of the weekend. Um, well, let me just preface this by saying that you know I know probably five percent of the alpha was just kind of showing off gameplay, and ninety-five percent of it was them testing their back-end servers. So I'm sure things will change once the game's released. But uh, come out of it, um, I kind of have mixed feelings because at the end of every match, the story of your gameplay is kind of the same you know if you're a hunter you're just chasing down the monster you find them deploy the mobile arena and just keep shooting them if you're the monster you're just running away from the hunters eating a few things and then you keep getting shot by the hunters there's really no back and forth to to the combat that much but uh it might just be because you know not a lot of people have learned the nuances to the combat or the different characters and Sounds like they're going to be releasing new characters uh, upon release in February, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to see how uh, how that game turns out in a couple months. Now, is that different than any other first-person multiplayer experience? I mean, I think you could probably reduce the experience of playing Titanfall or Call of Duty or Destiny down to a couple of sentences that way. You know, it always works the same way as well. Do you find it to be demonstrably different than than those kinds of experiences? <laughs> Uh, a little bit because there's very few ways in which you can recover. So, like, if your medic gets killed very quickly by the monster, you're pretty much done, and, you know, there's really no way to come back from that. Where in Titanfall, you know, if your Titan gets gets destroyed or whatever, you know, there's some way you can hide back in the corners and hide out until it's ready to come back for a minute. But, you know, uh, it, it, there's really, you know, one, one mistake in, in Evolve seems to really uh, screw up uh, everything for your party. That's interesting. I've played that game a lot at events, and uh, Christian and I tried to tried to get in on the alpha. It just didn't it didn't really happen for us this weekend. But um, I can certainly see those criticisms. I don't think there's going to. There, I think there'll be plenty of people that really enjoy the game. Uh, I had fun in short bursts with it, but I think if you are experiencing that now, and your hope is that the different characters are going to change that, I think that you are going to be sadly mist- mistaken with that. Because as much as those characters are different and unique, they really are very much just different ways to do the same thing in each class. So it's going to be you know four or five different medics, four or five different uh, uh, 
damage dealing types, you know, and and really they have slight variations, but their their roles don't change. You still are doing the same types of things. And yes, they have, you know, big special abilities that are different. So if you're playing the robot engineer type, uh, you can scout the the arena in a different way, but you're still kind of doing the same function. You're still functioning in your team in the same way. So um, I don't know. It's it's interesting. At least the alpha gave you a preview into into what to expect. But I think people are going to really dig that game. Um, I had certainly had fun with it in my my play tests with it at, at various events. But and and it might give you the experience or give one the experience that we heard from the first caller, which is that short, uh, fun kind of get together with your friends and all kind of rotate through who gets to play as the monster. So that could be fun too. Really quick, combat readiness program is the mode in Advanced Warfare that has bots <laughs> and it's kind of like training wheels. I could not for the life of me remember the name of it. Combat readiness program. It's perfect for idiots like me. Christian has been working on that for the, all, the last 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll take yes. one more call and then uh, wrap this up. We've got somebody on from uh, 661. Uh, where are you calling from? What's your name and what's on your playlist? Hey guys, this is Michael from Amsterdam. Um, this week, I've actually been playing Bayonetta and Bayonetta 2 back-to-back since I got the first print edition here in Europe. Um, to, to, I mean, a lot of people probably already said it because you can see the review scores on Bayonetta 2 that it's really good. Um, but they also say that basically more of the same. Um, which is true, I think, but after playing Bayonetta 1 first and then playing Bayonetta 2 right after that, I feel that Bayonetta 2 is the better of the two games and, quite honestly, my, one of my contenders of Game of the Year. Well, that's uh, very high praise, and I've heard a lot of people talking about Bayonetta 2. Christian, are you uh, are you itching to play that? It seems like a game you would dig. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to love the action. Bayonetta 1, I loved the action. The story, the world, didn't draw me in in the way that it did for some people. I know it's like over the top and whatever, whatever, whatever. For me, that game hasn't, didn't speak to me, but the combat is so good, and I am. I'm, I'm excited to to play it. I don't currently own a Wii U, but as soon as I, next time I see you, I will steal yours. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I hear it's awesome, and I, I hope people are loving it. I love those types of action games, and it's definitely on my list, too. I will play that game eventually. What about you, Raj? Are you, uh, are you into the Bayonetta? Um, I, I don't own a, a Nintendo console, uh, so I, I, I didn't play the first one much other than, than around the trap type of thing. And they had Bayonetta 2 at PAX Oz, so there was a little bit of a line, but it was, it was in this weird sort of... It was like a, a cubicle restroom or something behind a curtain. It was a tiny, tiny little booth that people were lining up to play. So I didn't, I didn't want to get into that hot box. So it's like the peep, um, the peep show. You have to put in a quarter and come back and play it, bayonetta. It totally was. <laughs> <laughs> it was just just this little curtain with a couple of people. I had no idea what the line was for the first day. So um, yeah, I it it I enjoyed the parts of the first one that I played and like like. Uh, the caller said it seems like a bit more of the same, um, and, and I'm not I'm not going to rush out and grab it. But that because I'm not going to rush out and grab a Wii U. 
I do want to mention the fact that I'm still playing Legend of Grimrock 2. I think it's fantastic. Uh, refer to last week. If you missed last week's episode, I went on and on about how much I dig it. Still digging it. It's very hard. It's it's a challenging game, but in, in a really wonderfully uh, fair way, I guess you could say. Um, and uh, I'm also playing Lords of the Fallen. Now, people who listen to the show will know that I got very late to the party into uh, – into Dark Souls and really found the joy. In fact, I wrote a piece for the Gamers with Jobs magazine, if anybody is a, a reader of that. Uh, I wrote a piece, the last magazine, on how I came to Dark Souls, really long, lengthy piece that I'm pretty proud of. If you want to re- refer to that, go to gamerswithjobs.com and find that, a way to look at their magazine. But um, Lords of the Fallen is a, is a wannabe it is it really is a wannabe dark souls and it's very pretty i mean this is what you want dark souls to look like this is the next gen version of dark souls pre blood rain of course um it, it's very pretty it, it the it, it pops i'm playing it on ps4 uh unfortunately it also makes me appreciate dark souls all the much more because you realize the level of polish that those games have and while I'm not terribly far into Lords of the Fallen, I can already tell that it, it just doesn't have that where all the elements come together and you feel like the difficulty is is harsh but fair, is uh, tuned just correctly so that I can have different builds of my character and they all work right. It just doesn't create the same kind of level of respect that you have for that game. Uh, which is required when you have a game that's built in the way it requires the patience and requires the level of commitment that you have with these types of of experiences. And uh, I hope that you know, as as I play more of it, it will uh, reveal itself to be more of that. But it's certainly, the first impression is not that great. It just uh, it feels it feels like a uh, you know the redheaded stepchild of the Dark Souls kind of universe. It just doesn't feel like it's up to snuff. Um, and I should say quickly, I played Lord of Fallen <laughs> yes. on your PS4 also. Yeah, we tried share play. Um, and uh, you want to tell them how that went, Christian? Well, we tried to play Lego Marvel from me uh, on my PS4, and we'd each have a quote-unquote controller, and that did not work. Um, but I took over your controller to play Lord of Fallen on your PS4, and that worked. It, it seemed to work fine. Um, I don't know how often I will use it. I guess if I got Call of Duty on PS4, it would be cool to let you see a little bit of it. Maybe that's a really neat way to use it. Um, it, it works. Uh, what well, worked ended up working for us the menu it's a little weird to get into it's like push share then push this like in this day of a day and age we want everything to be instant and but it's like push this and then have jeff accept and then jeff accepts and now give him a controller and which controller and it, you know it's a little cumbersome but hey man it's cool right it's the first step and awesome and i i like that all right well we got to wrap this up because we have a very special uh tabletop time coming up very soon uh with a special guest i got richard ham who is rado from rado runs through he's uh going to be telling us all about essen it's a really cool interview that i already conducted uh, early this morning with him um and uh i'm really very excited for you guys to hear it. It, it his enthusiasm and passion for board games really shines through and it's uh it's he's got some really great picks of of the games that we're going to be getting in the next year that were released at Essen. So stay tuned for that. Uh, in the meantime, I do want to thank 
Raj Diut for being here. Thanks, Raj. I woke up early in Australia time and, and got on with us. I really appreciate it, man. No, uh, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to uh, to be on. Uh, and uh, thanks for inviting me. If you want to see more about my pack stuff, uh, you can see a write-up over at reckoner.com.au, R-E-C-K-O-N-E-R. Very, very cool. Uh, Christian, what about you? What, what do you got going on? Um, so November 14th is my birthday and oh. the 13th I'm doing, uh, improv versus standup is at UCB. If you're in LA, I'm so stoked. I'll be doing a set on it along with Michael Costa, who you might know from his comedy central special or the tonight show. And then, um, two of my favorite improvisers in the entire world. They, they play as Heather and miles. It's Heather Ann Campbell who wrote for Saturday night live. She's on whose line and miles Stroth, who is, he trained under Del close, which if you know, improv, it's, he's awesome. They're amazing. They're the UCB record holders for a cage match. They're phenomenal. They did our very first ever improv versus stand up and they're back doing my birthday show. It's November 13th in Los Angeles. If you're around, I'd love to see you. Cool beans. And uh, I'm, of course, still cranking away on uh, the Slash Film cast over at SlashFilm.com. Uh, we're doing uh, Interstellar, and uh, we just did – what did we just do? Uh, another movie. Oh, uh, we're doing Nightcrawler. Yeah, we're recording that uh, tomorrow night, I think. So uh, check out those. And uh, the we have confirm- – confirms. <laughs> My Freudian slip is showing. Uh, we have concerns at wehaveconcerns.com is the comedy show. I urge you to check out. Uh, we did a fun uh, Halloween episode. We got more coming next week. Um, so we're going to turn it over to me right now. But first, let's leave the people with a parting gift. Uh, Raj, do you have a quick parting gift for the people? Yeah, sure. My parting gift is an Australian author called Max Barry. Uh, he had a couple of big hits a while ago in Syrup and Jennifer Government, you may have heard of. Um, but his latest one, Lexicon, is a really, really good read, uh, all about the, the, the root of words and sounds and the primal meaning in a sort of action thriller-esque novel. Um, really, really good read. Really great author. Uh, used to work at Hewlett Packard, I believe, and gave it all up to go out and write. And he's done really well for himself. Um, and from Melbourne originally, I believe. So, if you haven't heard of Max Barry, check him out. Cool, Christian, you got one? Daredevil End of Days. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis. It's old. It's phenomenal. Um, I was moving and found my hard copy. It's technically canon now, only because everybody loved the story so much. But it's how Daredevil dies, and it's awesome. Read it. Agreed. Uh, I want to say, if you're in North America, if you're in uh, America, I should say, uh, it's uh, tomorrow is is time to vote. And uh, seriously, vote. I know it's annoying. I know it's so boring. Oh, it's so, oh, both political parties are so, uh, everybody, uh, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Vote. Seriously. Stop being a dumbass and vote. It, Get off your butt and vote. It takes no no amount of time. It's so easy. And it matters. Give an S and vote. I can't... And you can play Smash. You can play Smash on your 3DS while you wait. Yeah, and just really, there's probably not going to be much waiting. If you're over 18, this is something that matters. And you can have a voice. And you don't want old people deciding the world for you. Decide your own world. Vote. 
I'm not even talking about the people, although the people are important to vote for, but it's initiatives, it's propositions. Those things shape your world very much your reality around you in your local area. It is so important. So have your voice heard. It's it's not dumb. It's only dumb if you don't do it. Vote. All right. So now I'm pitching over to me because guess what, guys? Very long episode here, but it is tabletop time. Right now, right now. All right, it is indeed tabletop time, and I'm really thrilled because I've got a fantastic guest, a guy I've wanted to have on the show for quite a while now, uh, Richard Ham. You may know him as Rado from Rado Runs Through, a fantastic series of internet videos detailing and running through, really giving you the experience of playing a whole bunch of board games. I'm particularly excited to have Richard on because uh, he was just at the Essen Spiel, which is by all accounts, the largest board gaming convention on the planet. Uh, I'm very jealous. I've been enjoying his videos uh, about about the convention, so I'm excited to talk to, uh, to him about that. Richard, thank you for coming, and I appreciate you being here. Happy to be here. You're making me blush. No, I, I, I mean it. I think your, your show is fantastic. Um, I, I particularly like how you focus on games that you like these are very much games for you and your wife you're very explicit about that you're only interested in games that can be played with two players and uh, you have very specific very uh, well detailed likes and dislikes and I, i applaud that you don't have to be all things to all people you can be very specific and i think that your show has value in that way yeah to heck with those other people it's all about me but i well i know what you're talking about actually that's something I'm always surprised by whenever I do go to a convention like Gen Con or Essen, which you know are, are basically like the E3s of the board game industry. I, you know, so many people come up to me and they are in the same situation. They are just, you know, a, a happy couple who love playing games together. And, you know, th- th- they really respond to my show because I speak to and focus on that. I, I cover games for people who don't want to beat the crap out of each other, who actually just want to share a really good time and, um, you know, have some fun at the table. Yeah, and I think you and your wife both value themes in games that aren't necessarily violent or confrontational. I think that's cool, too. I, I think those those kind of games have their place, for sure, and I enjoy them in, at times. But I love the emphasis on, on that kind of gaming. Well... Then keep on listening. That's, <laughs> that's all I'm going to cover. For for real. I, I also enjoy the fact that uh, you do come from the video game industry. You referenced E3. You uh, are now a retired, I'm, I understand, a video game designer, right? Yes, I am a, a recovered former video game designer. I was in the industry for about 20 years. Um, uh, probably people might know me best from Fable 2 or the original Siphon Filter series on, you know, the original PlayStation. Uh, been on a few things here and there through the years. But yeah, for the last two years, I've been, um, I've been out of the game. And, you know, coincidentally, I've really, over those last two years, switched over from, well, my lifelong love and obsession with board games. And that has all that attention and love and passion has switched from digital to cardboard. And a big part of that is coming back to the other thing. It's because it's something I can share with my wife 
for years, we always tried to find video games we could play together. Uh, Pixel Junk Shooter, uh, the Lego Star Wars, all those kinds of games. But it just seemed to be getting harder and harder and harder to find experiences we could share that she would enjoy because she had no particular desire to run around in a first-person shooter scape and kill stuff alongside me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it was only back, it's just like five or six years ago, but I think it was in 2009, that we discovered that board games are more than Monopoly, Magic the Gathering, and Warhammer 40K, that there was this whole other universe of games out there. And when we discovered we could have much deeper and more meaningful entertaining experiences shared you know across the table looking each other in the eye instead of both of us staring at a tv while we sit on a couch i mean it's been really really hard to go back yeah that's the that's the thing i keep proselytizing about myself um so i'm curious what was that gateway game what was the game that made you realize that there was this whole other world out there oh well that would have to be pandemic Mm. which was a brilliant game you know it's funny the reason it happened is Jen and I, we were going to make a road trip. We had a two-week road trip through France because you know I'm an American, but I've lived in Europe for the last decade. And I realized, crap, for two weeks we're going to be on the road. We're not necessarily going to have power. We're not necessarily going to have internet. What the heck are we going to do? <laughs> you know, we're not, and so I was on this trip to Seattle. I was at PAX, actually. And I figured, well, you know what? I, maybe I know what we can do. I we could. I'll buy a copy of Travel Scrabble because I remembered as a kid when my family, when my parents and me and my brother, we did road trips. We would play that on the road, and I thought that'd be perfect. I'll go buy a copy of that. And I went to a really great store in Seattle called uh, Blue Moon Gaming, and I was just going in there to look for it. it you know, it's totally random. I'm a, I could have gone to Walmart to buy this thing, but instead I went to a, a proper game store and i told the guy what i want he said no 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 what do you want that for <laughs> and um you know he, he talked to me about you know what do jen and i like you know not just in terms of games but what do we like in general and you know after you know we're talking about a lot of stuff and i revealed jen's hardcore love of viral apop- apocalyptic fiction <laughs> don't ask me why but that's a that's a real niche she's into. Um, yeah, she's loved The Last Stand ever since college. And uh, so, you know, he recommended Pandemic. And for those two weeks, you know, we had a great time. We were out seeing the sights every day, but we could not wait to get back in the evening to our camper van because we instantly got hooked. The, the best thing about that experience was, you know, hovering with just a dim fluorescent light, working together every night cooperatively trying to save the world from pandemic outbreaks. And we, it was just so eye-opening to us. Those experiences were so much more deep and meaningful and personal than anything we'd ever experienced before. And so, yeah, I'm, I, I, like I said, proselytization, please continue, because I, I still think the vast majority of folks out there just don't know this this huge industry of incredible entertainment experiences that just you know fly under the radar because we've all been programmed since we were four years old to think board games means twister, operation, and monopoly. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love the the passion in your voice. It's exactly how I feel as well. And you just want to reveal this world to people. And uh, and you definitely were at the center of that world last week uh, for <laughs> for uh, the Essen Spiel. And uh, for I've heard accounts that there were 
over 800 new games released there. I mean, that makes E3 look like, a, a, you know, a tiny little flea market in comparison. This is a massive, massive event. Um, Definitely. Yeah. What uh, I've, I've been enjoying your, your videos. I particularly like the uh, walking around the press room video. That felt like a you felt like somebody that got to spend the night inside the toy store and nobody was around. You know, you could just run around. Um, what what were the the biggest games in your mind that uh, that you got to see there, got to play and got to take home? Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to work my way through them. I, I walked home with about 60 games in my back pocket or in my luggage, more to the point. And, uh, you know, I barely scratched the surface. But right now, I think probably the coolest single game coming out of Essen, and I'm not even going to say the coolest, I'm going to say maybe the most important game because of what it means for the evolution of board gaming as a whole is a game from a Czech Games Edition called Alchemists. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen, I already have done a run through for it. It was, I went in being super excited about it and it has not disappointed me at all because what makes this game so special is, you know, it's, it, it provides everything that we want out of you know a board game experience, something that Jen and I, we can sit down at the table together. It's all about us interacting with each other, not trying to kill each other. It's all about us. We, we're competing. We're competitors. There's only one winner that comes out of it. But it's all about us doing the best we can at what we've set out to do and you know just trying to stay ahead of the competition as opposed to trying to tear down the competition. Mm-hmm. In this game, we are, you know, junior budding alchemists straight out of Alchemy Academy, you know, in some kind of fantasy universe. And um, we spend all our time, you know, going out foraging in the morning and, you know, getting, you know, toadstools and and, uh, bird claws and all kinds of stuff. And we spend the majority of our day, every round of this game, doing experiments, taking all these reagents, these components experimenting, mixing them together to create potions. And what we do is we don't know what we're going to get when we mix these things together. And to find out, we either have to get some, you know, intern student from the local, um, you know, community college, the Alchemy Community College, to drink it so we can experiment on them. (laughs) Or... It's hilarious. Or we can experiment on ourselves. And, um, you know, hey, maybe we'll discover a speed potion or maybe we'll discover paralysis. You never really know. And so it's it's a fun, solid game. It's got a really great sense of humor. There's a lot of really evocative stuff in it. But what's so cool about this game is when you sit down at the table to play together, you also have to bring your iPhone or your Android or your iPad or a laptop because there's a digital component. When um, I have the card that says I want to mix a warty toad with a with a toadstool mushroom, I put these cards you know on a little pedestal that's on my little like secret hidden screen. I point the phone's camera at it. It actually digitally recognizes what cards I'm telling it I'm, I'm mixing, and it will give me the feedback and tell me what I've created. And the brilliant thing about this is. If it wasn't for the phone doing all this stuff, you know, you know, keeping track of what equals what and all that stuff, the, the game would not be possible. It, 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 it creates an experience that it's, it's actually amazing to play this game kind of like 
puts you in the shoes of a scientist. You really feel like I am creating experiments. Every time I mix two things together, I discover a little bit more about the chemical composition of these things. I don't know the whole story, but I know a little bit more. And the more experience experiments I do, the more I learn. But the brilliant thing is because I don't have to declare publicly what I'm mixing, that I'm mixing um, you know, a pixie dust with whatever – because all I have to do is tell the phone. So nobody else at the table is privy to my research. And this, you know, this kind of privacy that I can discover stuff and I'm watching Jen and I can see, oh, wow, she just discovered how to make poison or something like that. But what did she do? I remember in the morning she went out um, hunting and she collected three toads. Does that mean toads are the secret <laughs> ingredient to create poison? You know, I mean. All of that stuff um, would not be possible without the fact that we're using a phone. So it creates, you know, it, it feels like a very modern, new, exciting experience because, you know, there's multimedia. There, you know, there, there's sounds, there's animations that, you know, the game comes to life. It's not something that's static and sits there unmoving on the table. You know, the game speaks to us, hmm. but it hasn't turned into a video game because all of our, all of our attention, all of our focus is still looking each other in the eye, trying to figure out what the other person is doing. So it's a brilliant, I think, first step towards one potential evolution of board games, bringing in digital that can do stuff that was impossible five years ago. And I mean, sorry, I've, I've, I've just, gosh, I've just gone on a little bit long there. But as you no, can see, I love it. It's, it's, it's very cool. Yeah, no, I, it was it was the number one game that I that I was looking forward to seeing more about uh, from Essen as well, and uh, it just looks spectacular. I mean, y you talk about it being a a really top tier board game, just component wise, and and the stuff that's on the table looks fantastic. And I love games where you're creating something, and 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 the deduction side is really fascinating. And then, as you said, the integration of this app, you know, we saw. Sort of the the talk of Gen Con this year was the XCOM board game, uh, which is going to yes. have its own yeah. app functionality. I think this is really the new wave of finding this interesting middle ground between uh, purely analog and and purely di digital. That there's this marriage where one can complement the other, and it doesn't. And it's, it's it's kind of a new third thing. I think. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, I know a lot of people in the board game um, community are, you know, they, they really kind of look down on this, you know, like, you know, what is this going to do? Is this going to translate to a future where whenever you sit down at a table to play a board game, everybody spends the entire game looking at their individual phones and that human connection is lost. Right. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, to me, the fact that alchemists puts my phone as another component in the game is no different than if the designer of Alchemist wanted to include dice. You know, uh, digital components are just going to become another tool in the designer's toolbox, and sometimes it'll really benefit a game to be able to, like, you know, store secret hit, hidden information across networked phones in a way that would be impossible. But sometimes a lot of games aren't going to need that, and, you know, they're going to continue with the, down the traditional road. I... I am just so stoked. I mean, it, it is a bright and shining future, and it just shows one of many different ways that board games, you know, have to evolve. You know, in, in a time where video games have really kind of established 
what they can do. And now you see lots of indie developers kind of branching out and kind of almost reimagining what does it mean to be a 2D side-scroller? I mean, it doesn't change anything about the raw mechanics of hitting your jump button and all that stuff, but, you know, you come up with really interesting, far-out stuff. You know, I, I see this as the same sort of thing in board games, that there's just as much exciting, innovative, new, um, you know, undiscovered country for lack of a better term. Yeah, I agree. I'm really excited about it too. My, My only worry is that, you know, part of the charm that I have with board games is that, you know, I can pull out a 30 year old copy of acquire and put it on the table and it's the exact same game and there's and it, it plays exactly the same and we have that experience and and board games are sort of timeless in that way if the, if the mechanics are sound it it'll always work and uh the worry i guess with these types of experiences is that you know did they update the app for the phone 10 years from now and is it still going to work and is the game now unplayable 10 years and i guess those are uh, you know, preemptively a little silly concerns, but p- that is part of the joy of board gaming for me. Yeah, I understand that. But, you know, I mean, m- my counter to that is um, Windows 3.1 came with an executable called card file, cardfile.exe. This is a program that must be 15, almost 20 years old now. My wife still to this day uses cardfile.exe to keep track of all our important, you know, all our account numbers and you know, passwords and all that stuff. She's kind of grimacing at me right now. How dare I tell people this? I mean, it's, it's networked. It's offline. Nobody knows. But it's an example of a program that has been in existence for 20 years. And Jen, even though she's running Windows 8.1 on her laptop now, can still keep track of this data. I think... We are moving forward into a future where data is never lost. I mean, mm. you know, it's you know the equivalent of once uh, some celebrities, you know, nudie pics end up on the uh, online. They always say, "Well, you know what? Once that's up, it's never going away. You'll always be able to find that." And I, I think that goes beyond, um, you know nip slip shots it's yeah. true for all data and i don't see any particular reason that if my wife can still run an application from 20 years ago that we should not be able to run an application that came out today 20 years from now interesting yeah i think you're probably right um I, I'm, i'd love to talk more about uh more about your experience at essen i i know this isn't the first sure. time you've been you've been over and over but you're you're also a guy who's been to e3 and other conventions how, how does it compare to gen con and e3 is it is it as massive as it seems from the outside looking in oh it's pretty it's it's it is gigantic i mean I, I don't know if all your listeners know board gaming in europe particularly in certain countries like germany and greece actually is has gone so far is so far integrated into public pop culture i mean you have you know national newspapers that have you know weekly review columns devoted to talking about all the new board games that came out that week you know in addition to all the new movies and whatnot and so you know it's not surprising that you would have such a huge effectively toy fair to service this this gigantic European community. I mean, Gen Con and, and, and BGG Con and, and the, the PAXs, all these conferences that are in America are great. And, um, you know, and they, they bring all the geeks together in one place. And that's awesome. But board gaming in Europe 
has gone beyond the geek. Yeah. Regular people play designer board games. And, um, yeah, and it, it's massive. The biggest difference between what, what I've seen from, you know, those other shows you're mentioning and, um, Essen is, you know, particularly on Saturday and Sunday, 50%, 60, 70% of the people you see are families who have brought their kids yeah. because they're, you know, as a group, they're excited because this is something that's just part of, you know, their societal culture. They grow up sharing these cool, wonderful games that the vast majority of gamers in America have never heard of. And um, so I think that's what probably makes it, it has, gives a really different feel. The, you know, it, it's, but that's a reflection of, you know, kind of a, a European versus American societal standard, really. Yeah. I mean, and I don't mean to downplay. I mean, if there's one thing that's I would say is weaker about the Essen experience as opposed to well, pretty much any other show I've been to, you know, whether it's Gamecom or, um, you know, E3 or anything is Essen is at its heart. You don't go there to play games. You go there to buy games. If you're mm. lucky, you might find a little, um, you know, one by one meter patch of empty floor space that you could actually bust the game out you just bought and play it. But for the most part, it's um, about the ravenous consumption of all the new hotness that just came out. And then you take it home and play it. Interesting. You, you compare that to pretty much any other show, um, which is all about bending over backwards to make sure people can play it. Right. Although, you know, think, I've never thought about this now. I think that, again, might be a reflection of the different cultural norms. In Europe, nobody has to be convinced that playing a board game is cool. They're there just to get the game. You know, at, um, in, in America, you're, it, it's, it's all about trying to convince people to, you know, even try out your game. So, I, I, you know, that, that's kind of, I think, in a nutshell, what really makes it feel different. Also, it is chock-a-block. I mean, it, it gets so ridiculously crowded. I've, I've been to, well, I've been to over a dozen E3s over the course of my career. I've never seen an E3 anywhere near as physically crowded as what happens in Essen. I, it, it's just, it's like being on subway trains in India or Japan. You know, people just bunched together so because it's such this huge writhing mass of humanity yeah. all come here for a common gaming goal it's 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 unlike anything else you've ever seen it's it's amazing so we've got the alchemist which i'm excited about can you hit me I, and i urge everybody listening to check out your youtube channel or you can just go to rado.com right r-a-h-d-o.com that'll get you right to it um and you're you're running through a whole bunch of games that you got at the convention but what are a couple of other picks that you can uh, you can tease right now of, of stuff we should be looking out for uh slowly but surely well let's see what else has really tickled my fancy. Another big game I'm super stoked about. And actually, this came out at Gen Con, but you know, it was also available at um, what do you call it? Essen as well. Is Shadowrun Crossfire? Mm, right. And you know, I, I think this one might have actually some interest to some because you know, Shadowrun. That's a that's a pretty well loved franchise. There's been you remember the uh, excellent Xbox uh, first right. person shooter uh, you know that came out what seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. The original um, Shadowruns that were Shadowrun's been around forever. And so they put out a card game this year. It's a cooperative card game, completely cooperative, where you and I are both uh, Shadowrunners, you know, runners going on jobs together, you know, trying to take down the evil corporation and get out alive. But what's interesting to me about this game is, well, first of all, one thing, just so you know, 
that game is probably the hardest, nastiest, roughest game. It will chew you up and spit you out. It shows you no mercy. It's a very, very tough game to beat. So when you do win, it's very satisfying. But what's really interesting about the game, whether you win or lose, every time you go on a run, and you know, Jenna, we played this game easily a dozen times now, and we just keep wanting to go back. Every time you go on a run, you earn experience points, or what are called karma points. And those are permanent. Hmm. Um, over multiple plays of Shadowrun, over weeks and months, we continue to build up and evolve characters who grow with us. And in this way, it's a it's you know it, it's a board it's a board card game that has elements of what you would expect in an MMO. You know, wow. p- people who play MMO, you know, who play World of Warcraft for years and could not imagine ever walking away from, you know, their, their dark elf mage or whatever it might be because they put so much love, sweat and tears into it. That is something that's being replicated. It's another new, again, undiscovered country for board games, this idea of permanence, that when you put the game back in the box and you put it up on your shelf, the game has changed. And when you play it again in the future... You can pick up where you left off. I am so excited about that. It makes it tough for me to actually, hey, you know what? What do we want to play tonight? I've got 300 games I'm looking at here on the wall. Let's just play Shadowrun because why would I want to play anything else when I could keep on building my character in that game? Right. So that's a big, big deal. And I think, um, you know, as big a deal as digital is, I think the notion of permanence, you know, the notion that. If you, however much you put into the game, that game will give back to you and will grow with you. I think that's something that you're going to see starting to get integrated into the design of a lot more games. Yeah. Know, plus, it's just a, a really, really cool you know setting. You know the whole um, you know cyberpunk meets the high fantasy environment. You know Blade Runner meets Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing. It's just a very, very cool product. I think. You know, spoiler alert uh, for people who are waiting for my top ten of the year. It might make number one. Oh wow! Um, because we love it so much, and uh, equally, it's it signals such a huge milestone in the evolution of board and card game design. Wow, very very cool. I'm just looking at it here on uh, Board Game Geek, and I guess uh, Mike Elliott had his hand in it, who's the the designer of uh, Marvel Dice Masters as well, which is a game I've I've been loving a lot lately. Um, that is a yeah yeah it looks fantastic. I, I this was not on my radar, so I'm excited to uh, to hear about Shadowrun Crossfire, uh, which uh, looks like it's even available, so you can you can purchase it, which is. Different than a lot of these games. A lot of the games you hear about in, from Essen, <laughs> you know, you won't even be able to buy for a year or more uh, if you're just a you know regular North American resident. Yep. Uh, any other uh, picks before we kind of wrap this up? Let me think. Um, what else really jumps out at me? I'm literally just. Uh, I should pull up a list or something. But actually, I'm just looking at my wall to be honest <laughs> right now. That um, that makes me envious right there. You're just looking at your wall to see what what the cool <laughs> stuff from Essen was. That's awesome. <laughs> you know what? Okay, I'll mention another one. Um, Assault at Doomrock. Ooh. This is a it, it, this is a very, very straightforward high fantasy game. It's another cooperative. You may notice this theme with me and Jen. We're always for games we're together mm-hmm. um, instead of being each. But, you know, the, the thing about Doomrock, and it's, you know, I, I mentioned this, this whole 
explosion in video games that are going on right now. You're seeing like, you know, great, uh, crazy, exciting new ideas, you know, made by very, very small teams, you know, that are, you know, just getting their funding on Kickstarter and whatnot. You're seeing that in the board game world, too. Assault on Doomrock was a crowdfunded game, not on Kickstarter, but on what's it, Indiegogo. And, um, you know, it was made, it was designed by one guy in Poland who had a dream, um, you know, found an artist who made some really great art and came up with, you know, cooperative fantasy dungeon crawl adventure games. It's a fairly commonly, um, you know, made subject matter. It's, it's pretty well tread. There's a lot of really big hitters, you know, the descents out there in, in that play space. Mm-hmm. But he ended up creating a game that really rewrites the rules of how you do a fantasy adventure um, dungeon crawl game, the way combat works, the way exploration works, the way character creation works. You know, it, it um, you know, it it, uh, it introduces a lot of humor and comedy. It creates these really interesting decisions that you, along with other players, make together. But the thing is, it didn't come from Fantasy Flight or Wizards of the Coast. You know, you know, the board game equivalents of Electronic Arts or you know. Activision, right. you know, it came from just this guy who had a dream, and and I think that's another thing that's so cool about board games as a whole because it's still a much much smaller, compact. It's almost a cozy industry. Um, if you want to have conversations online with the developers of your favorite board game, it's easy to do um, because they're just geeks like you. And um, so when I played Assault at Doomrock. And I, I saw that, wow, I mean, this does not follow the regular formula. It completely throws the formula and creates something entirely new, but at the same time is very familiar and very comfortable because I love high fantasy. I love Tolkien-inspired, you know, destroying orcs and, you know, tra- hunting down dragons. But it does it in such a new, different way, and I don't know if a game like that would have come out of the machine, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, everybody wants to make the next ascent. This was a very personal game that does things in a very different way. And so I, I think it's representative of something that's special about board games, too. Very it's cool. Just what happened to cross my eye when I looked around. So, again, that's Assault on Doom Rock. Uh, people should yes. keep their eye out for that. Um, sounds And that's amazing. one of those ones, like you were saying, that's one of the ones, like you're saying, that people aren't going to be able to get. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I think right now you could only get it in Europe. But I think it's a cool game. I am sure it will eventually make its way across the pond if it hasn't already. Well, this has been a real treat for me, Richard. Thank you so much for taking the time out to, to be on the show. Um, I could listen to you talk about board games forever, and which is why I love your YouTube channel so much. So tell people uh, how to find you and, and what they should keep an eye out for. Well, I'm easy to find. Just go to www.rado.com. That's R-A-H-D-O.com. I try to put out about three or four videos a week. Um, another thing you can do is go to my guild, which is http colon slash slash guild.rado.com, which is a pretty a- active um, discussion forum where I interact regularly with all the folks who watch my show. I run monthly um, a, a voting service that lets my fans vote for the games they want me to cover. I try I, to be really, really a- interactive. Any person who asks me a question anywhere, whether it's on YouTube or on Twitter or on Facebook, on BoardGameGeek, if I see it, I will answer them. So, you know, if, if you if you want to learn more, just come over to 
guild.rado.com and uh, join in on the conversation. Very cool. Uh, thanks again for being here. Um, as I said, I'm, I'm a fan and I appreciate uh, all the all the great videos you put out and uh, all the coverage that makes me salivate for the newest, latest, best board games. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so excited for this year. It's going to be a good one. So uh, thanks a lot for being here. Yeah, great. It was, it was a lot of fun. All right. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of DLC. Uh, thanks to Zach Holder for producing the show. I really appreciate him letting us do it a little out of order this week, but uh, it worked out really great. Uh, thanks to Richard Ham. Thank you to uh, uh, Raj Diut and Christian Spicer. And until next week, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. 